You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to We're Listening to Podcast, a community where all voices are heard. I'm your host, Rob Cook. Join me for a lighthearted show about the human experience with live conversations, discussions, and interviews of some of the newest to the most established 3P practitioners from all over the world. So no matter if you've known the three principles for years or you're new to Daily Insights, we hope each episode will inspire you to demonstrate a community where all voices are heard. Welcome to today's episode. Mahima Stresna has an extensive background in media and crisis communication. She is obsessed with bringing bright people together to find solutions to complex problems. Over the years, she's worked with governments, multilateral private and nonprofit organizations in a wide range of sectors, including aviation, hydropower, tourism, investment climate reform, automobiles, finance, education, telecommunications, and healthcare. This diversity in her work portfolio has given her unique insight into what people take to put aside their differences, overcome traumatic history, and find a way to move forward individually and collectively. Mahima received an Iconic Woman Creating a Better World for All Award from the Women's Economic Forum in 2017 for her work. And her course, ongoing course, Second Win, The Art of Possibility, describes the place in life where you are discouraged by failure, tired, setbacks, bored, and gets you to brush that off, moving on in a new and fascinating direction. Mahima! Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you this morning or this evening Very for good. you? Yes, yeah. it's evening. It's evening for me. It's 8.45 in the evening. Okay. And it's 8 a.m. for me. Yeah. So you're mm-hmm. in Nepal yes. and I'm in L.A. And it's funny that the 45 minutes added into that. That just that just throws, <laughs> that's, that's why I draw yes. the line. I'm OK yes. with time zones being on the hour. But 45 minutes, like, no, just go and give the other 15 minutes to the hour and make the time difference. No, <laughs> no, what would be the fun? Every person I speak to, they're like, what's with the 45 minutes? I've never had that before. So I quite enjoy that. That is so funny. Well, uh, because I would consider it late uh, where you are, but I guess it's not, you know. I'm not going to comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an old timer, old timer. That's what I say. I'm oh. an old timer. Going to bed by nine o'clock. So I'm going to try to get you out of here real quick. Oh. But um, man, you are impressive. I mean. <laughs> this is how you want to begin. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, oh, God. I, I want oh. to begin with just how um cool it is to see all of the work you do because it kind of defies what people say can be done. They usually tell you niche, 
find one group and stay in that group and you can be successful. But finance, healthcare, education, tourism, aviation, telecommunication, working with family, entrepreneurs, small businesses, like you're all over the place with this teaching, (laughs) with this teaching. And just talk to me a little bit about that. Like, how so many diverse fields you get to go in and be successful kind of talk me through what it is you're offering them that that you're seeing such amazing results yeah yeah well for me first of all the thing that that struck me about the field that we work in is the universality of it right that wherever there are human beings there are factors at play that are in common why because they exist inside the human being um and it Wherever there are people, there is thought in action. Wherever there are people, there is the infinite capacity of mind in action. Um, And so I think for me, that became my direction because that was one of the things that struck me really powerfully. So my background is in PR. I have made a career out of differences, about sharpening the differences between this brand and the other, this person and the other. And so for me, it it was the opposite of that, to see that there is a universality and that it speaks to and touches every single person in every single industry. And there is a sameness between us too. So that really became the way I started seeking clients. Um, And it obviously is paying off or not paying off in a sense, but it's obviously shown because in 2017, you won the Iconic Women's Creating a Better World for All Award. Like an iconic woman. That's that's like the moniker yes. in front of your name. Is that amazing or what? I know. I mean, I think the thing that struck me is how many of us there are. Like, mm, I was I like struck that. by the amazing things people are doing in all of these corners of the world. I was amazed how much people see a problem, have an honest intention to help or to fix or to sort or to um, solve. And there's inspiration and collaboration and how much impact people make in their lifetimes. And often they were very young women. I mean, the the majority of the women that I I met there were under 40. Um, It blew me away how much impact one individual can make. So for me, that's the piece that really that I came away with. I came away kind of rejuvenated by experiencing all of these women. Wow. Okay, so that even now makes me want to go back. I was trying to go forward. I was trying to move, <laughs> I was trying to move us forward to now, but now uh, I want to go back. All right. So take me back a couple years to one, a little bit of your upbringing and then coming into the principles. Maybe that'll help me because I'm just mouth just wide open at the diversity that um you bring like when you show up it's just amazing from from a little bit about Um, childhood what was growing up like yeah so I grew up uh, we we used to live in a joint family when I grew up so we were like my dad his three brothers um all of our families and the grandparents we were all in one house till I was about 10 um and so I grew up very much just with peers and, and enjoyment. Of, and I was the only girl, right? So there was like, I don't know, seven or eight boys. 
Um, and I was the only girl. So I grew up just very protected and very looked after, very spoiled, some might say. <laughs> uh, and so that's uh, very much the way I grew up. But also, I think within that were some ideas about what, what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of, um, what I can do as a girl growing up in Nepal and with um, and what I can't do. So I think without, and I didn't realize that until really many, many years later, that I did grow up with some, just a very sheltered, protected childhood. And I think I took, the, I understood that somewhere to mean that outside of that bubble, the world could be a somewhat scary place. Mm. Um, and so I think I surprised myself when I started working globally and I started going to places on my own and approaching um, like police departments and things in other countries on my own. Um, I surprised myself with that because I, I didn't realize I had picked up some ideas about what what girls can do and can't do and what's safe and not safe in the world. So that was my career for me has very much been a kind of I don't know, an ongoing revelation. So it's really something catches my eye. I follow that. It leads something interesting. And I see something else from there and I, I go somewhere else. So I started, I always thought I would be a writer. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, and I went to journalism school. And I graduated and I just started in journalism when I came home back to Nepal for my brother's wedding. And I met somebody who was heading an advertising and PR agency in Nepal. And he said, he asked me what I'm doing. And I said, you know, a journalist and blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, that's very nice. I don't know if anybody's told you this yet, but you're a PR girl. So if you want a job in PR, come see me. So you never thought about PR? No, because as a journalist, like PR people are the people between you and the person you want to speak to, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they were not high on my list of <laughs> at all. At all. But, but I was curious. And so I went and met him and I met him on the Monday, I think. And I started working with them, uh, heading the PR department on the Thursday of that week. Um, wow. so it kind of evolved very quickly and, and my first day on the job I thought oh my god I cannot believe nobody told me this this job is made for me I just didn't know it existed and so I think over and over again my work has been that experience of I cannot believe this job exists and nobody told me mm, what, are you, what stuck so what like resonated so so hard in the PR world that I mean again you had just spent some years I would assume in journalism school like yeah. how, what 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 was it about the job that resonated so hard for you to go yeah I'm all in I mean I think there's two things one is this idea that like people have something like founders uh, managers brand managers owners uh, teachers entrepreneurs they have like something in their head right they have something inside that they somehow need to translate to the outside in a way that's visible to other people and that other people can make meaning of for themselves. So there's this idea for me that PR became that bridge, that bridge by which people and ideas can be connected to resonating audiences, right? Like that became for me this very sparkly thing to follow and to think, 
um, people have these dreams. They have these dreams, they have these ideas, and you can play a part in that, in a way, being brought into the world, right? So that other people can see it and other people can interact with it. So for me, that just fascinated me. Okay, and that that is, yeah, I can see it fascinates you still to this day on your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're yes. just lit yes. up about that. So mm-hmm. the work you work you're doing is pretty much in the PR field. I was, yes. You was, okay. Yes. Yes, yes. So that was very much my my work, my world, my love. Um, I was in love with this idea of telling stories about people and ideas and um, creating experiences for people, you know. Um, yeah. And then I got kind of, and at, at that time, actually, there was uh, Nepal's very first uh, communications-based project for people with special needs. So that was not a big part of the conversation here. We did. That's how I originally joined the ad firm, actually, because that was going to be their project, and they were looking for someone to lead that. Um, okay. And that became my first introduction to like PR with zero money in my pocket, mm. because we had we had a very very small budget, but we had big dreams. You know, we wanted the impact to be huge. So that became my introduction to this kind of relationship-based PR and relationship-based publicity and this kind of education-based coverage where I would have to find ways to bring journalists on the table, to bring influencers on the table and get them genuinely interested in the topic, interested enough that they would write those stories for themselves. And from then on, I just fell in love with PR. I fell in love with this idea that you could make such an impact by connecting to people and by getting people interested in each other. And so from there, I went on to crisis communications because within PR too, there's the publicity and reputation management side. And there was the crisis side, right? So that I think is what got me interested in this whole human dimension and seeing that, oh, there's something quite special that happens to people when the rug Mm -hmm. is suddenly pulled out from underneath us, when it's unprecedented, it seems huge, it's loud, there's like cameras and mics in your face, Um, there's grief and shock and anger and all of this happening at the same time, like something really special happens to organizations in those moments. And I became fascinated by the people who do really well in those situations. People who sometimes we never even noticed. They were within that department or that team, but we never even noticed. Um, And somehow something goes wrong and they just, they carry the whole team on their shoulders, you know? Um, And I became fascinated by that. And so that became my next little breadcrumb. I started to get more and more interested in crisis-related media handling and training and communications training specifically for crises. Um, and then I hit a wall, which um, I now call state of mind, right? Realizing that you can give people any amount of training, but state of mind, the state of mind, the assumptions, the beliefs, the attitude that the person brings to the table is an enormous wild card. Yes. Unless I understood that better, I could never guarantee any kind of result for my clients because, I mean, we're different when nothing's really going wrong. And when something really big goes wrong, um, I had to understand people better to get better results. So that really became my foray into um, the mind and how that works and performance. Um, 
And so the crisis communications became a bigger and bigger part of my work. Really. Soon enough, this is where I got. <laughs> Soon enough. I like that, that in order to give those results, you had to understand people more, mm-hmm. which required mm-hmm. a lot of listening, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that led for me almost a whole year of talking to people that that people recommended, essentially, that were responsible for changing people, right? So that people come to them one way, and when they leave, they're another way. And uh, some of them were therapists, uh, some of them were teachers, uh, some of them were coaches, as in sports coaches, some of them were um, not employed at the time I spoke to them. There was a very, very wide range of people who somehow understood something about change in people. Um, and I spent almost a year just speaking to people, listening wow. to people who had managed to effect change in the lives of people and just trying to kind of wrap my head around that. So we have the, and correct me if I'm saying it wrong, the second win program, mm-hmm. coaching, yeah. training. Okay, so it's a program. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, this whole idea of second wind, it came up uh, just about two months ago, maybe three now. I was working with a client who uh, her daughter had committed suicide four years ago. Um, And of course, that was a terrible um, traumatic event in her life. And it had kind of cast a darkness over her life. Um, And she had not, like every time I spoke to her, she said, the only thing that would make this better is if my daughter came back. There's mm. nothing else that would make this, her life, um, better ever. Um, and that's where she was. And we did, so I have a, my one-to-one coaching format is called Fierce Focus, right? It's a six-session results guarantee kind of format. It's uh, an hour and a half to two hours, six times, right? Okay. Um, and here we are at the end of number three or number four. And um, she says to me, the, the image that she had was this really dark sky, you know, like it's monsoon here in Nepal. So the sky is full of these huge, dark, moody clouds. And for her, the image that she had in one of the sessions is this the, the sun kind of starting to show through and then just kind of explodes through and she sees there's light in her life again, right? Wow. That was her metaphor for explaining what had happened to her, that she had kind of gone into a darkness for four years and there was light back in her life. And she started talking about this idea of second wind um, about races, you know, that like you run a race and you come to a place in a race and in a life where you're flagging. Um, whether it's from failure or it's from tragedy or setbacks or trauma, you come to this place where you you don't think you can go forward. Um, But there's also no backwards to go back to, right? Um, And so this idea of second wind came brewing from that conversation where, you know, you see in in the long races that people are flagging and they kind of get a rush of energy and enthusiasm again. Um, And she said, um, her, again, her metaphor for the thing was, I'm still in the race. I'm still in the race. That that there wasn't a full stop back there. Um, There was a period of darkness and I'm still in the race. My life is still moving. There's still a forwards to go to. 
Um, and that really got me started about this idea of second wind, that we all get to phases like that in our lives. Yeah. Right? No matter how young we are or how old we are, we all get to a place where a failure is too big, where um, there is a kind of despair and hopelessness or discouragement um, that seems to kind of envelop us at certain times in our lives. And I, once I finished working with her, I really felt this kind of pull to meet people in those times yeah. and to kind of birth from there a second wind for them for their lives, right? So that in conversation, they begin to birth a second wind. Yeah. That's a new and fascinating direction that includes all that has happened. You are special. Wow. I mean, you're literally living by following your heart. Yeah. I'm not good at following instructions. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm left with. <laughs> you heard it here if your kids are horrible at following instructions let them follow their heart because yes. they could do some yes. of the amazing things that you're actually doing and creating in this world wow <laughs> now you're also a business owner if i'm not mistaken yes. now outside of your coaching though yes Yes, tell me a little bit about that. So that is a, a communications-based business. Um, okay. And it is primarily centered around building personal brands or brands for founders who have small setups, right? Um, and it, it really kind of, when I thought about my, my passion in PR, I mean, that's really the piece that lights me up, that there is one human being not a huge amount of resources at their disposal, but a tremendous amount of energy, capacity to be inspired, to connect with other people who are inspired, to inspire others. And to see that actually at those critical moments when they're starting out, a small bit of external skill in sharpening the edges makes such a huge difference in how noticeable they are, who steps forward to help them. Uh, who else they're able to connect with, what kind of talent they're able to attract. And so for me, the early phase um, of personal brand building or founding um, yeah. companies, that's really the space that I'm excited about. So that my communications work is almost entirely centered around that specific time in a person's. Mm -hmm. Like in a community where we've had, I think Sid's initial insight was about 48 years ago or so, and we've had some amazing practitioners and who we both know and love, um, but there's still a large part of people who have no clue what we're talking about when we say three principles. All right. So if I was to put you, let's say, in charge of PR for for the, you know, the community, what would you say would be a way that practitioners could could help with just reaching other people? I think for me, it would be storytelling. Um, storytelling. Okay. I think um, it's, it's quite easy now. I mean, you can get templates to build almost a whole brand. So that piece is no longer so difficult or so novel that you can't find a ready-made simple structure that you can just follow until you have a better handle on, you know, your positioning and how you want to do that. So for me, the gap is really like when we speak to practitioners, right? Whether it's at conferences, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, stories are they just flow you away like it, it 
blows your mind to hear how much people have changed and how much people's lives have changed. Mm-hmm. And yet in our communication about what we do, um, that remains a massive challenge, how we communicate the potency of these stories that are part of our lives, how we communicate that potency in a way that other people can hear, right? Like, I mean, there is toothpaste brands <laughs> that have, that have uh, like a particular niche of stories that people follow and then move them. And then um, same with, with hair, there are hair care brands that do some phenomenal storytelling. Now, it's not that, you know, toothpaste and and hair care products aren't aren't worth anything, of course they are, but there's something so fundamental to people's lives in what we do. There is such a Mm. potency in the shift that occurs in people's lives. Possibilities that they never dreamed of become available to them, right? These are things we, we really, I wish we'd work collectively on bringing that that to the front to say how can we tell these stories how can we capture these stories in a way that's powerful that's moving that's engaging um because we don't have to make them up they're all here but they're often here in the in the closed loop context when you and i speak or when we speak to a closed room full of people ah yes okay are not in the room how are they going to come across that? And how are they going to be moved by that? And how are they going to have the hope that we so want them to have, to know that uh, wherever they are, whatever is going on for them, there really, there is a, a light, not just at the far end of a long tunnel, but here, right? There's possibility right where they are. Like, how, how else do we reach people with that message of hope and possibility? Hmm. You said something very, very key there when you said we we were having those conversations in small rooms or small groups. And here recently, the board has made a conscious attempt to open up that room space, um, mm-hmm. allowing more voices to be heard, which resulted in you becoming a member of the 3PGC board. Mm-hmm. Kind of talk to me about what that felt like and, and what it means to you now to, to take all of what you've worked when through trauma, family crisis, PR, communication, and bring it to this community and now being a board member, what does that feel like? It feels like there's a lot of good and juicy work to be done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to have come along at this time. Um, also this time in the, in the history of the Three Principles Global Community. It's a time of transition. Um, it's a, a, a series of people from new generations uh, stepping up and taking leadership roles. Um, and it's a time of transition in the world. There are big, important decisions that face us, no matter where we live. So for me, like this is something that has relevance to each of those situations. Yeah. And that's really the piece that, that I'm excited about, that we will hopefully find a way to communicate our vision and our um, ideas and possibilities and our message um, to people in a way that that's relevant to them where they are, because it's already relevant. We just haven't really got an institutional communication or institutional story through line that that tells the story clearly. Yeah. And, um, 
I'm I'm excited about that. We have so much diversity in our community. Yeah. Um, and you know, not just in ethnicity, but also in in age and life circumstance and skill and age. Um, I I want more of those voices. I want you know more of those voices on tables where we can all hear them. I I absolutely love that. Oh man. Um. Okay. I think this is the first time I ever did this. <laughs> so, so go with me. I'm in the feeling. I'm feeling good. I have two quotes from you. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're getting to the part where I open it up and you just pretty much speak to the community how you see fit. Mm, and okay. I'm going to say the two quotes and you can pick either one you want, but kind of talk about it and elaborate, kind of tying us up with a message for people to understand from it. All right. So the first quote was going to where the suffering exists and not expecting people to find us, especially after we've made ourselves so hard to find. All right, that's one. And the other one is when you're not open to living by insights, you need such a high energy or bold event to happen just to get your attention. Okay, I'm going to speak to the second one. We, we were talking about that when we were talking about changes in the world, um, mm-hmm. as well as in, in personal lives, right? Sometimes we say that the times that we've grown the most have been times that, you know, the most disruptive, they were the biggest shocks or they were the biggest challenges. Um, and that's true. And, and often, you know, um, there's a common narrative that we need big shocks to the system in order to change, that we are somehow just unwilling, uninterested in change until we're forced to change. Um, And for me, that has not been my experience at all. Um, As you said, I work with a very, very diverse group of people, Um, uh, segments or demographics that are not in there include people who are uh, in prison, um, a few uh, police, specialized police departments, um, I work with a very, very wide range of people, and, and I see that when we're in our kind of habitual mind, when we're running at the speed that we've run at for a long time, when, we, when we're very loud and fast and busy and urgent in our minds, um, we don't notice things. We don't notice things that need our attention. We don't notice things that hurt. We don't, we're blind to what is causing our suffering. Um, and we're blind to that because we keep zipping right past it, right? Mm. And so a certain kind of spaciousness is needed. Um, and for me, that's what a really big shock to the system does. It, it gives you pause. Like there is that moment when you don't know what the hell to do with this thing, right? And there yeah. is that, that forced pause, but that pause doesn't have to be forced. There is a capacity within human beings to see they're hurting, to see they're hurting themselves, that they're hurting other people, that there are, there are more harmonious ways to do something, that there are places they need healing. Um, there are places they have capabilities that are underused. We're capable of seeing those things. But when we're habitual, we're not seeing new things. We're seeing what we're used to seeing. We're not open to seeing new things. So, um, I think that that quote really, um, it for me is a kind of clarion call to people to say, like, slow the hell down. Mm, yeah. You know, like, 
there is a spacious quality in us that allows new insight to surface, that allows new questions to surface, um, that allows healing and possibility. And um, that's really my core hope for people, that we will find it in ourselves to pause a second and to look at our lives as fresh eyes. Pause a second and look at it with fresh eyes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about the podcast, please go to 3pgc.org. If you're looking for more information about how to become a practitioner or you want to be featured on the show as a new fresh voice in the principles, send us an email at info at 3pgc.org. We'd love to hear from you. Knowing there is no end or limitation, nor are there boundaries to the human mind, have the day you deserve.